the Department of History at Virginia Tech, I'm Ladale Winling, and this is the Virginia Political History Podcast Project. We'll be exploring politics in the Old Dominion, past and present. In our first episode, Emily Harmon explores the history of the suffrage movement in Virginia. So what did you find, Emily? Well, we take a look at the suffrage movement in Virginia and why Virginians didn't ratify the 19th Amendment, despite having a large and active Equal Suffrage League. It turns out that people's perceptions of women and the fear of the African-American vote motivated many Virginians to refuse women's suffrage. Whom did you find most interesting in the course of your research? It's really hard to choose, but um, I think I liked learning most about Adele Clark. She was a really young suffragette and was a dynamic speaker, and everyone loved her. There were a lot of funny stories about her, but it was most fun getting to hear her voice from recordings that were done 40 years after the events of the story. On January 21st, 2017, hundreds of thousands of people gathered in Washington, D.C., to challenge the day-old Trump administration. After the election, we were deeply disappointed by the results, and I have a daughter, and you know, our feeling is that what we saw in the election really demonstrated an attitude towards women that is you know, pervasive and unpleasant, and we really need to show our solidarity against that. A couple of months later, the Women's March organized the Day Without a Woman protest. Several leaders of the Women's March were arrested for demonstrating in Columbus Circle in front of Trump Tower in Manhattan. I can't remember a time when so many women were active in political protests, but exactly one century ago, women were marching in the streets of Washington for something else. Suffrage. In the 1900s, women's place in society was changing. Previously, women had been workers in the home, keeping house and caring after children. Many women thought that politics and other public matters would taint their purity. But at the turn of the 20th century, things started to change. Middle-class women began to work outside of the home, some received degrees in higher education at women's colleges, and women as a whole were beginning to have a small but new influence in public matters. Many states were in favor of allowing women to vote, but most, especially in the South, adamantly opposed women's suffrage. In this episode, we'll take a look at women in Virginia who battled for their right to vote in their home state. The movement in Virginia was led by the Equal Suffrage League, which had been founded in 1909 by Lila Mead Valentine. She was an upper-class white woman from Richmond who had traveled to England with her husband a few years earlier and became inspired to bring about social change in the South. While women had been working for equal rights since the mid-1800s, the movement had slowly gained momentum since then, but it was the slowest to take root in the South. Over the course of a decade, the Equal Suffrage League of Virginia became one of the most active and prominent leagues in the country. However, Virginia didn't ratify the 19th Amendment when it came up for ratification in 1919. In fact, the Commonwealth stubbornly withheld ratification until 1952. What about culture and society in southern states, and in particular Virginia, made southerners opposed to women's suffrage? Actually, why was anyone opposed to suffrage? And did women's right to vote change anything about politics in Virginia? We're clearly soldiers in petty coats and dauntless crusaders for women's votes. Though we adore men individually, we 
agree that as a group they're rather stupid. Mrs. Banks cast off the shackles of yesterday. Before we get started with those questions, let's set the stage. We're talking about Virginia and the years leading up to the ratification of the 19th Amendment. Virginia was much different than it is today. Much of the urban sprawl that is now Northern Virginia was basically non-existent. The largest cities were on the eastern side of the state, Virginia was rural, and industry was just beginning to develop. In the years following the Revolution, Virginia was the most powerful and populous state. It was led by wealthy plantation owners. A few of them you may have heard of. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and James Madison were all Virginians. Much of the Civil War was fought in Virginia. As a state with this history, Virginians tended to hold strongly to traditions and their long-established beliefs. As suffragist Mary Johnston said, Virginia, if the dearest of states, is also the most conservative. Her men are chivalric, her women domestic. Since the 18th century, no heavy wave of immigration has touched her shores. She makes progress too, but her eyes are apt to turn to the past. So Virginians themselves admitted that their state was slow to change. And one thing that they had a hard time letting go of was their idea of Southern womanhood. In the South in the 1800s, there was a very dualistic concept of relations between men and women in which there was an implicit bargain where she deferred to his authority in return for his protection. That's Dr. Marjorie Spruill. She's a professor of history at the University of South Carolina. She's written books on the women's suffrage movement, like New Women of the New South, which tells the story of the leaders of the suffrage movement in the South. She also served as an advisor for the HBO film Iron Jawed Angels, which we'll talk about some in a little bit. As Dr. Spruill says, Southern women were expected to defer to men in most ways. He was supposed to represent the family, not only in business to bring the support to the family, but also to represent the interest of the family in politics. There was also the idea that she was particularly good, religious, virtuous, bringing up their children to be very morally responsible people and inspiring the husband to do good for her sake. This is, comes out of lots of sermons and literature from that time. Women were largely expected to be in the home, while men represented the family in public matters. For decades, American women didn't even have the right to own property. In fact, Virginia was the last state to grant women that right. In the years before the Revolution, actually, Virginia was the only colony to explicitly state that women could not vote. Women were also not supposed to be involved in politics. People believed that politics was so dirty that it might spoil what they believed to be women's righteousness and virtue. They said politics is a rough business. It requires contact with unseemly people, exposes women to danger, and also takes them away from their responsibilities. And so they argued that when women said that they wanted to clean up politics, uh, men would be saying, we don't want you to be sullied by politics. And many women also believe that. Mary Munford, an equal suffrage leader, presented a political matter to the Richmond Women's Club. Despite her efforts, the club members drowned out her voice by beating their umbrellas on the floor. Mary had to return to her seat. Adele Clark, one of the younger leaders during the equal suffrage movement in Virginia, described how difficult it was to get Southern men to support women's suffrage without these gendered stereotypes getting in the way. When some women were protesting in the streets, men who supported suffrage threatened to withdraw their support if the women didn't stop acting violent and unladylike. 
In the meantime, though, more women in Virginia were beginning to work outside of the home. The percentage of white women in Richmond over the age of 16 in the workforce was 21% in 1900. 20 years later, it was 30%. And this trend is consistent in many cities in the South. So as more women were beginning to earn wages and have experiences outside of the home, more women won the right to voice their opinions through the ballot. The fight for women to have the right to vote was difficult, but even tougher in the South. Southern womanhood complicated people's understandings of a woman's place in politics, but race complicated it even more. So let's think through a quick American history timeline. The Civil War occurred from 1861 to 1865. Historians consider the era of Reconstruction from 1865 to 1877 when Union soldiers occupied large areas of the South. So, the people who were in political office at the turn of the century had probably lived through the Civil War and more than likely through Reconstruction. Kathleen Pablo, speaker for the League of Women Voters of Fairfax, Virginia, talked to me about Virginia at this time. Virginia was reeling after the military occupation and the control by the North. And when they finally got Democratic voters back in place and legislators, oh, in the, say, the 1890s, they began to talk about starting and writing a new constitution. In 1901 and 1902, Virginia did write a new constitution. And in it, there were all kinds of controls because they were afraid that the blacks would, in some counties or all over the state, take control. And this wasn't a secret. One member of the convention, Carter Glass, later a U.S. congressman and senator, cried, Discrimination? Well, that's precisely what we propose. That, exactly, is what this convention was elected for, to discriminate, with a view to the elimination of every Negro voter who can be gotten rid of. The 15th Amendment required that the right to vote would not be based on race. But by passing discriminating laws that white Democrats knew African Americans could not meet, they restricted black votes. For example, every voter would be required to read and explain a portion of the Constitution when registering to vote. They also required a poll tax that only wealthy whites could afford. Civil War veterans of the Union or Confederacy, and sons of those veterans, were exempt from these new requirements. So, Virginia lawmakers had worked hard to instill Jim Crow laws, pushing African Americans out of political power. The question was, if women get the vote, that means black women get the vote. And in 29 counties already, there were more blacks than whites. And if you add black women to that, what chance do we have? And that would be the end of the Democratic Party was the fear. Many people believe that women's suffrage would put all of this Jim Crow legislation at risk. It turned out to be the most powerful argument against the suffrage movement in the South. So the women of the Equal Suffrage League face a dilemma. Do they try to achieve both gender and racial equality, or do what they can to accomplish one? They chose to lobby for women's suffrage only, and in the process, claimed that women's suffrage would, in fact, advance white supremacy. The Equal Suffrage League of Virginia released a broadside entitled Equal Suffrage and the Negro Vote. The opponents of equal suffrage claim that the Negro woman's vote will constitute a menace to white supremacy. This contention is altogether unfounded for the following reasons. The broadside then references laws that restrict African-American votes already and how they would still disenfranchise African-Americans if women's suffrage was passed. The last reason listed on the broadside states, because the Constitution further says that the General Assembly may prescribe a property qualification not exceeding $250 for voters of any county, city, or town, etc., 
This is a provision to be used if needed, but it has never been needed anywhere in Virginia, for there is no city or county or town where Negro men qualify in larger numbers than white men. They are shut out by the present restrictions. We are secure from Negro domination, now, then, evermore. So wait, the women of Virginia wanted to disenfranchise African Americans, even though they were working for their own right to vote? This is Adele Clark, a young Virginia suffragist who was interviewed in the 1960s. He never had the nerve to enroll the Negro women in the uh, Negro women voters. I've always regretted it, but we just couldn't bring the middle-of-the-road thinkers to the point of, of bringing the Negro women in. A number of us, especially Lucy Mason, went to groups of uh, Negro clubs and all, and talk to the Negro women about uh, uh, civic affairs. And we made as much contact with them as possible, but we couldn't do very much about it because uh, we were afraid of being accused of uh, being carpetbaggers, so that we had to stay out of it to a certain extent. Lila Mead Valentine wrote in a letter to a friend, I believe that all women, white or black, who meet the qualifications for suffrage in any state should have that right. But in working to secure that right, we should exercise common sense and not complicate our efforts and add difficulties of the task by injecting elements of discord. As you know, the Negro is the one remaining argument against suffrage in the Southern states. She justified her rationale accordingly. This is not a matter of principle, but of expediency. Both women and blacks had been disenfranchised in the mid-1800s, but the end result in 1920 was that women's suffrage came at the cost of black suffrage. The fight for suffrage was too fragile to consider both. Although Lila Mead Valentine believed in the right to vote for all people, it's not surprising that some of her friends and contemporaries thought it was just and fair for women's suffrage to come at the expense of black suffrage. So now that we understand Virginia a bit more during this time, we see that Southern womanhood and racism were really important and divisive issues that Southerners had to confront when talking about women's suffrage. Some Southerners became filled with hate at the radical idea of women's suffrage. The women of the Equal Suffrage League of Virginia were forced to come to terms with opposition and abuse, both verbal and physical. Some people believed that these suffragists were radicals and therefore thought that they would do violent things. The newspapers began reporting on the women's potential for violence. Adele Clark again. Headlines came out a few days uh, later saying we may expect women to go up and down Broad Street throwing windows at, uh, throwing rocks at store windows. We were very much embarrassed and of course we didn't throw rocks at store windows. We felt much more like throwing them at the newspaper. <laughs> Adele was a well-spoken young woman who got the opportunity to travel to other states to demonstrate with other suffragists. She was such a powerful personality that she was very shortly in demand beyond Virginia as a speaker for the suffragist movement. And she insisted that the Virginia state flag be on the stage along with the U.S. flag. And she was speaking in New York one time. Some man stood up in the audience and pointed at the Virginia flag and shouted out, you see that damn suffragist? flag it was the flag of the state of Virginia I want every man in this audience to look at that flag and realize that this is what's going to happen to men if women get the vote 
The state flag of Virginia features a seal with the female figure of peace whose foot is resting on the chest of the male figure of tyranny, who is lying on his back on the ground beneath her. Beneath the image the words, Sic Semper Tyrannus, thus always to tyrants. The women also endured personal attacks on their character. Lila Mead Valentine was insulted because she didn't have any children. Someone spread a rumor about Mary Johnston that she advocated artificial insemination, which was a very radical and unmentionable subject at that time. Other women's divorces were publicly talked about and meant to delegitimize their work. Adele Clark said later, though, that the main insult had to do with race. As she said, the major thing I recall would be the question of being Negro lovers. Under leaders like Lila Mead Valentine and Adele Clark, the Equal Suffrage League became active in Virginia. They quickly began petitioning on the federal and state level for women's suffrage and began working to educate Virginians on the issue. Though not naturally drawn to public speaking, Lila Mead Valentine spoke throughout the state at colleges, state fairs, local events, and even on the streets. Many Southerners distrusted the federal government. Valentine and the other leaders of the Equal Suffrage League fought to get suffrage bills passed on the state level, as they believed that was their best chance for success. State bills were presented before the Virginia House of Delegates in 1912 and 1916. In 1912, the results were dismal. The state house vote was 88 to 12 against, and the Senate didn't think it was important enough to bring to a vote. In 1916, the vote was closer, but still 52 to 40 against. While the numbers appear more positive, the Virginia state constitution was incredibly difficult to amend, requiring approval by two consecutive legislatures and also a public referendum. As the state amendment appeared more unlikely, the Equal Suffrage League of Virginia decided to switch routes and pursue the passage of the federal bill. On the national level, suffrage movements used differing methods to agitate for the vote. As Southern women, the ESL of Virginia maintained a ladylike advocacy of suffrage. They believed that they could win the vote through charm and reason, rather than militancy or violence. However, the National Women's Party advocated a more radical method. In 1917, a group from the National Women's Party picketed in front of the White House to protest the leadership of President Woodrow Wilson, who did not support women's suffrage. Over the course of months, over 200 women were arrested and taken to Occoquan Workhouse. On the Night of Terror on November 14, 1917, prisoners were beaten, chained, and tortured. Some women went on hunger strike and were subsequently force-fed with antiquated medical instruments and tubes. This is what the title of the 2004 HBO film Iron Jawed Angels refers to. How are the girls? Emily, I want you to come home. No physical contact with the prisoner. I'll speak to President Wilson. He can issue a pardon. For what? I haven't broken any laws. After two weeks of hunger striking, a court-ordered hearing was held. It determined that the women had been illegally arrested, convicted, and in prison. They were all set free. It was a small but important victory. Although Valentine and other Southern women disagreed with the methods in the National Women's Party, equal suffrage was gaining popularity. The Equal Suffrage League of Virginia started out with 100 members in 1909. By 1919, membership was 30,000. When Congress passed the 19th Amendment, the Equal Suffrage League worked hard for ratification in Virginia. But as I've mentioned before, there was a lot of negative sentiment about the federal government becoming involved in what they perceived as a state issue. Virginia especially had scars from the Civil War that it was still trying to heal from. But ratifying a federal amendment on suffrage was extremely difficult. There was a dear old Confederate soldier a Mr. Young in the House of Delegates who had been one of our staunchest supporters. But when we went to him to ask him to vote for ratification of the amendment, 
he said, ladies, you cannot expect me to vote for anything federal. I still bear in my body a wound I received in Chancellorsville, and I would not vote for the federal government to do anything about the, the electorate. So we lost him. And of course, there was the prejudice that the, uh, still is evident about federal things in many of the southern states. So Virginia did not ratify the amendment. Virginia was one of the nine states that refused to ratify the amendment, but 36 states did ratify it, so the 19th Amendment became law. Women nationwide would have the right to vote in the 1920 election. Perhaps as a statement, Virginia stubbornly withheld ratification of the 19th Amendment for another 32 years. Once the 19th Amendment was ratified, the Equal Suffrage League disbanded and formed the Virginia League of Women Voters in 1920. But there were some practical issues that needed to be tended to. Virginia women only had one month to register to vote. In a time when the registrar didn't necessarily sit at a desk in an office, this could be difficult. Registration in Virginia is, uh, is tricky more than very difficult. Unless the, the registrar wishes to ask people questions, it's fairly simple. You have to give your name and age and date of birth and residence and various things of that sort, not much more difficult than registering for a motor vehicle license. But then if the registrar wants to ask you questions about interpreting the Constitution, he may do so. I don't remember that we had much trouble with that. Our rural women had a lot of trouble running all over the county trying to catch the registrars who were plowing or fishing or doing various things. But in the towns, we nearly always had uh, registration offices. Another important question was if African-American women would be able to register. Some feared that they might experience violence and oppression when registering or voting. Despite these fears, a 58-year-old black housewife named Pura Lee Sampson registered, the first black woman to do so in her precinct, and possibly the first in all of Richmond. By the end of the registration period, 2,410 black women registered to vote in Richmond alone. As expected, most white women had an easier time registering. Lila Valentine, the woman that had sparked the suffrage movement in Virginia, registered to vote from her sickbed. She never cast a vote and died in 1921. Adele Clark, however, became the first president of the League of Women Voters. So what effect did women's suffrage have on politics? A 1927 report entitled Women's Vote in the National Elections gave dismal results about women's right to vote. They estimated that 35 to 40 percent of women eligible to vote in the 1920 and 1924 elections went to the polls. And in addition, they said that women's right to vote didn't change anything. Quote, Politicians reported upon their return to Washington and the state capitals after the election that the enfranchisement of women, aside from increasing the size of the electorate, had shown no effects of which the parties need take serious account. They claimed that women generally voted the same way as their husbands, fathers, and brothers. Nothing had really changed. In the 70th Congress from 1927 to 1929, however, there were four female House members. Since 1920, there had been seven female members of Congress. One woman from Georgia had even served as a senator, although only for 36 days. Despite these initial results, women did slowly and gradually become more politically active. Not only does a higher percentage of women vote now, but more women hold public office. 104 of the 535 seats in the United States Congress are held by women. That's about 20%. Clearly, women make up more than 20% of the population. However, as suffragists knew and we know now, 
people, laws, and society change slowly. In many ways, Virginia suffragists were unsuccessful in agitating for the vote. Traditional ideas of Southern womanhood and the fear of the black vote motivated conservative Virginians to refuse women's suffrage. While the Commonwealth had thousands of active suffrage advocates, they were not powerful enough, politically or monetarily, to mount a serious challenge to the all-powerful Democratic Party. However, despite these losses in Virginia, the story of women's suffrage on the national level is a successful one. Virginia benefited from the 36 states who did ratify the 19th Amendment. And as a millennial who has felt far removed from the women of the suffrage movement, it's easy to forget that at one time, women were politically powerless. But now, it's hard to hold them back. Now you have heard of women's rights and how we tried to reach new heights if we're all created equal. That's us too. Yeah. But you will probably not recall that it's not been too long at all since we even had the right to cast a vote. You ought to carry. The Virginia Political History Podcast Project was created by historians at Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, Virginia. This episode was researched and produced by Emily Harmon. <laughs>